This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. First of all, I think it's such a lesson for me and it's such a lesson for everyone else. So, um, oh, speaker, sorry. So, you know, I've been talking about this this book that we wrote. um, And um, it was, uh, you know, there's 356 days in this book to be dedicated and I was told that it would take at least a year to get, you know, 356 dedications at $360 a dedication. And we started about four weeks ago, five weeks ago. And I said, I have to get the book out by Elul. And if we don't make the, we don't get the dedications, we don't get the dedications, but we have to get this book out for Elul because Elul is the time of doing tshuva and one of the most important, for sure one of the most important things in life. And it's interesting because I was talking to, to a therapist today and telling her about my book and, you know, and, and it's a book of gratitude and she said like, wow, that's like, that's like, you know, one of the things that we work on in therapy so much is appreciation that a person should, you know, should, um, should appreciate. And, and I have to tell you a story just, but anyway, what, what I want to say is thank you to everyone outside, everyone who's watching this, because today at about four o'clock, we totally sold out. We do not have a day to sell anymore. In fact, on my way here, a good friend of mine called and he said, so I, I'm taking a day. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, let me call. And I called and I said, maybe somebody made a mistake. Maybe there's an extra day. And they told me there is every single day, Mitzvah Hashem, every single day is accounted for. It took four weeks. We were told it would take 12 to 16 months. And um, I want to thank everybody for um, for those who dedicated, those who could not afford um, to dedicate. The biggest dedication you can do for me is the other book that's coming out, the Sefer Zichronos, is to buy one and every single night to write a thank you to someone, to Kosh Baruch Hu, um, that would be the, probably the biggest dedication and, and we're, we're very excited. Um, um, somebody told me today that he feels that, um, I, I shouldn't even repeat this, but he said what the Chafetz Chaim did for Lashon Hara, and that he took Lashon Hara from a, an Avera, an Avera in the Torah, and I'll talk Lashon Hara, and it became something so big, so huge, so important. He said, Bezrat Hashem, this, this movement, this initiative, because it's not just going to be a book, it's, you know, we have to teach it in yeshiva, we have to teach it to children, mm-hmm. that what, what was done for, for Lashon Hara and Mitz Hashem, this dar, our dar, will do for Akar Satov. And Mitz Hashem, we will do this for Akar Satov, and it will make for better marriages, and better relationships with your kids, and definitely a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and maybe the, the generation of Mashiach is a generation of Akarsatayv, you know, of, of appreciation, which, which brings me, of course, to, um, to Eretz Yisrael and, uh, what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. Of course, I am not, you know, I've been speaking and I'm not the one to, um, to say why, because no one really could say why. We don't have, we don't have Urim Batumim and we don't have Nevi'im, but what we could say is, we don't, we never know why anything happens. But what do you learn from it, and where could you grow from it? And that's why things happen. And I think the one thing that we can learn from it is that Klai Yisrael is hated by everybody. The whole world hates us. That's for sure. Um, even where we think we're very comfortable here in a democracy, we're finding out what everybody really thinks of us. And that the whole world really does hate us, and that it doesn't matter to any of these people who hate us. It does not matter to them at all if you are basic of girl or modern girl or religious or not religious or 
Svadi or Ashkenazi or Hasidish or Litvish. They don't even know what those words mean. You're a Jew, we hate you. Period. You're a Jew, Hamas hates you. And, and the lesson that we have to learn from that is that if they who hate us realize that a Jew is a Jew, surely us who they hate should realize that a Jew is a Jew. So I think that what's coming out of this and what really has come out of the big tragedies, the Holocaust and the Inquisitions, is a, is a realization that a Jew is a Jew. And that, um, you know, it doesn't matter. They threw religious Jews into the fire in the Spanish Inquisition, and they threw totally not religious Jews into the fire. And then they threw religious Jews into the gas chambers, and they threw totally not religious Jews. It didn't make a difference. So I, the, the lesson that we need to learn from this, and I think that's what Hashem wants, is that He wants His children to... Um, he wants his children to, to become one and not to judge a girl who gets dressed like this and a girl. I, I, you know, there was, there was a comment, and I spoke about this before, where, where somebody got up, um, and said that to a girl, that because you go mixed dancing, you are going to hell. Now this girl happens to be working on becoming a Balchuva. So the first person she called after this rabbi told her this was me. And she says, this is why I don't want to be part of this. I don't, I don't. So Rabbi gets up and he makes a statement that I'm going to hell. So if I'm going to hell, I'm going to Gehenna. Why do I need to do, you tell me to daven and do this. Why do I need to do anything? And I totally disagree with this rabbi because there's a Mishnah in Pekiovos. And the Mishnah in Pekiovos says that God waits till the last second of a person's life for them to do tshuva. And the Rambam says if they do tshuva, it's accepting they go to Ganeidin. So, so if someone's Machal Shabbos, or eating trafe, or has a short skirt, or wearing pants, or going mixed dancing, right? It's an Avera, and it's not a good thing. But you can't say she's going to Gehenim, because maybe in a week, or two weeks, or four weeks, or five years, or 80 years, or on her deathbed, she turns to Hashem and says, I was really wrong, and I'm really sorry, and she, and she asked for forgiveness, she's going to Ganeidin. So how can someone make a statement like that? You don't, we're not God. We don't know what a person's going to do. Maybe in two years from now, she's going to be the biggest Rebbitzin. There are many people, men and women, that have done Averis and did Tshuva and became the biggest Siddiquim in the world. Rabbi Akiva, 40 years. What would this rabbi have told him, right? He became Rabbi Akiva. So you're not allowed to tell someone, if you do that, you know, you, we don't, that's Hashem, Hashem is the judge. We are not, you're allowed to say you shouldn't go mixed dancing. You're allowed to say you shouldn't do certain things. But you can't, you can't give them the punishment. We're not here to give them the punishment. There used to be a Bezdin. There used to be Adam and Hasra, witnesses and warning. There was a Bezdin who made a judgment. And they never put someone to death. Okay? They never put someone to death. And there was never a Ben Sarah Who are we in, in, to say who, what Hashem is going to do with his children? So this is totally out of hand. And, 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 and you, you, you don't start telling Jewish people, you know, where they're going. And if you, if you're threatening them by telling them, telling them that, they're not gonna do tshuva if they think they're going anyway. What have to do tshuva for? I might as well have a good time, you know, in this world. So, I, I spoke in Boston in, 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 on Monday night, and I said that, that even when it comes to, you, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to say someone, someone is, um, is not from. That girl, she's not from. You can't say that. You know what you could say? That girl, she's not from yet. You gotta add the word yet, cause, because tomorrow, she can be from. Maybe she'll come to my speech, and she'll walk out, and she'll change. Right? I'm working very hard, believing that if you're not from, 
and after an hour talking to me, you will be from. Right? So say, she's not from yet. She's not Shomer Shabbos yet. She's not Shomer Nagiyah yet. Right? But you have to give that person the yet. Because you can't paskin that this person is never going to be from. And, and it's, it's a very different outlook if you look at someone you say, she's not Shomer Shabbos yet. She's not from yet. Then, then if I say that word yet, that means I'm going to help her. Because I believe that she could become from. I'll tell you an interesting Gemara. Gemara says like this, if a man comes over to a, a woman and he says, I, I want to marry you, I'm a nas, because I need to, I'm a tzaddik. Right? Is the Kedushin good? Now, the Gemara says, we know he's a Russia. This morning, yesterday, he was Machal Shabbos. On Sunday, he goes to this girl and he says to her, I want to marry you, I'm a nas, uh, in order, because I am a tzaddik. Right? And the Gemara says, the Kedushin is good. What do you mean the Kedushin is good? You saw him being Mechal Shabbos on, on Shabbos. The answer is, we have a Chazaka, that if he said that, he did Shuvah. We believe that he did Shuvah. So now he is a Tzaddik. So you can't say the Kedushin is not good, because now he's a Tzaddik. That's how Hashem looks at Jews. You know, we, we look at, at the potential. Now, that's not only looking at other people. That's looking at yourself also. you got to always add the word yet. Right? I'm not married. Good. I'm not married yet. I don't have children yet. Right? Um, I'm not at my desired weight yet. I'm only saying that because I'm on a diet, so I'm thinking like that, right? <laughs> not at my desired weight yet. Right? But if you're like, I, you know, I, I can't get there, you're not going to get there. But if you, if you add that extra word, it's like an, it's a major word because in your head, yet, but yet means that I will get there. It's just not, it didn't happen right now. And, and, and it's, it's a very important thing. And I think that, that what's happening in Eretz Yisrael is, is, again, I don't know why it's happening. I can't tell you why it's happening. I'm not going to tell you it's a punishment or, or anything like that. It, it, it's a wake-up call, and we have to learn from it. We, and, and I spoke about this for the last two weeks. That tragedy, the biggest tragedy, is when there's a tragedy, and you don't do anything with it. And I went through the whole Torah, and you see all the different tragedies, right? Even the tragedy of Aaron HaKohen, by Yidom Aaron, it's, it's fascinating. The more I speak about it, the more fast. How many people lost children in the Torah? Yehuda lost Erva Onan. Uh, Aaron lost, uh, uh, what's it called? His, his two old, another Avihu, right? Adam lost Hevel. There's, there's a lot of tragedy in the Torah. Wherever you turn, wherever you turn, there's a tragic event, right? One guy, one person is sold, the father's throat. You look at Noach, 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 which his son Cham did something very bad to him, which no son should ever do to a father, and he cursed his own son. So you have a, a son that gets cursed, a son that gets thrown out of the house, you shmol, right? You, you, you want to see, so, so, this I didn't say yet. This came up when I, when I was preparing to speak in Boston, but I didn't say it, and I, and I, and I did a little more research on it. So let me ask you girls, why does the Torah have all these tragedies? Well, I mean, the, the Torah is full of any tragedy. Any person could come up here and tell me the most tragic story that happened. I will find a few in the Torah. Right? I will find a few in the Torah. Haran committed suicide. You want suicide? Haran jumped into the fire after Abraham Avinu came out. Goodbye. That was sorry, Menu's father. Okay? Terah threw his son into the fire. Brother selling a brother. What happened to Dina? Right? What, what, what Shechem did to Dina? Anything you're going to look for? Any tragedy that you're going to look for, mass death, the Jews, one plague after another, 24,000 here, right, coming out of Mitzrayim, coming out of Mitzrayim, four-fifths of Klai died in darkness. 
That's more than that's more than the Holocaust, as far as percentages of people who got out. Only one fifth got out. Okay, so you have a Holocaust. You have what happened to Dina. You have you have whatever you have. You have what's it called? Um, you have the ten makas. You have starvation. You have war. You have a seven yacht. Why? Why? If you really look at all this, right? It's like one tragedy after another. And forget about when you get into Navi. Huh. I mean, Navi is just full of tragedy, right? So, so why does why does Hashem give us such a Torah? Torah is a mirror of life. Right, but 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 all these tragedies, every tragedy you have to put in there. I'll tell you the answer. I'll tell you the answer. The answer is fascinating. So why do we have all these tragedies in the Torah? Why did Jacob Rubino have to go through his daughter being, you know, what happened to her? I don't really want to say the word, right? What Shem did to her, his daughter, and what Yosef being sold, and 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 Rachel dying, his, his wife dying at a very young age, and him working for a, a, being fooled. By love and I'm working an extra seven years and everything, and you're running away from his brother Asa who's trying to kill him. And, and he talked, looks that old. Why did, have to, why did Yaakov have to go all through that? So that, what, so that we should be able, the answer is unbelievable. There's a, there's a, a bracha that, that we got, that Kleistrol got, that we should never have any of the sicknesses that Mitzrayim had. And it says that Hashem gave Mitzrayim, like, many, 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 many sicknesses. So that when that we get the bracha, that you shouldn't have any of those sicknesses. If they only have one sickness, the bracha wouldn't cover much, right? To bring a chiddush into the world, to bring something new into the world, is very, 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 very hard. Once it's brought into the world, right? For other people, so many times, you're sitting in yeshiva, I'm sitting in yeshiva, right? And we're learning the Gemara, and I say, Rabbi, i got to ask you a question. And he says, and the Rabbi says, what's your question? I say, the question, he says, Oh, Zechariah, beautiful. It's Rashi's question. You asked Rashi's question. Right? That's pretty cool. I'm sure there are many girls in class that asked a Rashi's question. Right? Or a Rashbam or a Klayakar. And you're like thinking to yourself, wow, I'm as smart as Rashi. Right? Because if that question bothered him, and now that question bothers me, I'm Rashi. Right? That's what you're thinking. So I said to my Rebbe, I'm like, Really, really, like, I'm, I'm Zachariah Wallstein, like, I play basketball and whatever, and, and Rashi his whole life, how, how, how come I can ask a question that Rashi asked? How come it bothered me what bothered Rashi? And he said that Rashi brought it down into the world. Once he asked that question, then it's sort of all in the Shamas get that question. That's the one who brings it down into the world, that makes it easier for, for everybody else. And it's the same thing with ideas in, in, in the business world also, whatever it is. If it's there already, then it's much easier, you know, to kids. It's the originality, it's to, it, bringing it down into the world. So therefore, the Torah is unbelievable. The Torah has all these situations. Now, every one of these situations, something good came out. I spoke about it last week. Ace of hating us, so we don't assimilate, right? Dina, had, had Asnas, Asnas brings Mashiach and Yosef. I went through this last week. Everything that happened, right? Even, even, the Yidom Aaron, that Aaron was quiet when his two sons died in front of him. So it says in the Chidah that the, where those two Neshamas go, they weren't married. One of the Averis that was that none of them never got married. So, so where did those Neshamas go? So all the Seifu Gagul and the Chidah, everyone says that Pinchas, Ben Allah, Ben Aaron, Kohen, Right? Got those two neshamos. 
and how do, how do you have two neshamas? Because if you're not married, it's only half a neshama. So those two neshamas became Pinchas. Pinchas became Eliyahu. Right? Pinchas said Eliyahu. We all know that. So, why? Because what was Nodem and Avihu's Avera? Nodem and Avihu's Avera was that when they, they, they were supposed to wait for God to bring a fire down on the Mizbeach, they went ahead and lit their own fire. So it was a big Hashem. It's like, oh, God needs you to light a fire? He was supposed to send down. Why? Because they didn't wait. They were so excited about the mitzvah that they went and lit the fire. So they didn't wait. So the Jews were looking for this big fire coming out of Shemayim. And they went ahead and lit the fire. So they're like, you know, God, you can't do it. We can do it. The fire came out of Shemayim and killed both of them. Eliyahu Hanavi, unbelievable, because I don't usually say the speech because this, this Haftorah comes out when on a yontif or something when I'm not speaking. Eliyahu Hanavi, in the end, if you know the whole story, right, with the Nevi'e Habal, so, so Eliyahu Hanavi called the Jews together and he said, you believe in the Savoy de Zara, and I believe in Hashem. It's, t- it's time to figure out who's right, right? So he took all the Nevi'e Habal, all these terrible prophets, these false prophets, where this big following of this Avodah called Baal, and they set up a Mizbeach, right? And they put an animal on top of the Mizbeach on wood. And Eliyahu Navi did the same thing. He set up a Mizbeach and put an animal on top of wood. Eliyahu Navi said, you guys yell to your God, I will yell to my God, and we'll see which one sends down a fire. If my God sends down a fire and yours doesn't, then I got the right God. If your God sends down, then I'm wrong. And then we'll all go to become, we'll all do our way we'll, we'll follow the Via Hamal. So what did these crooks do, these lowlifes? They went ahead and they made a hollow Mizbeach. And inside the Mizbeach, they put one of their men. And they told him that the minute we start screaming, Baal, Baal, send the fire, you light the fire from underneath. All of a sudden the thing's going to catch fire and everyone's going to bow down. Now, Leon Novi did not know about this, okay? So, they go ahead, they set this whole thing up, the trap is perfect, everything's perfect. But God runs the world, and a little snaky goes underneath the Mizbeach and kills this guy who's going to light the fire. So the Nevi'ah and Baal are screaming, Baal, Baal, send the fire, and they're waiting for this guy to light the fire. He's dead. This is a Navi. I'm not telling you a, a Medrash. This is a Navi. And he's screaming, light the fire, light the fire. And he, they scream the whole day. And Eliyahu always sitting there and he's laughing. He's like, scream, you're not screaming loud enough. You have to read it. It's very interesting, Haftarah. He says to them, oh, he doesn't hear you. Scream louder. And it said they screamed so loud there was blood coming out of their eyes. They were screaming because, you know, they were chanting. They're waiting for this guy to wake up and light up the fire, which he didn't do. And they're screaming and they're screaming and they're chanting and they're chanting. Nothing. And he waited till the end of the day. And then he said, okay, everybody come to my Mizbeach. And he took water. And he poured water all over the animal, all over the top of his mouth, all over the wood. And he turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, show your people who you are. And a fire came out of Shemayim and disintegrated the wood, the animal, pretty much the home is Mizbeach. And everybody said, Hashem, Hashem, Echad, Hashem, Shemo, huge Kiddush Hashem. Who was he? He was Nadav Avihu. What was Nadav Avihu's Avera? That they rushed to light a fire instead of letting God send down the fire. How did they, how did they misakane it? They came back as Pinchas, as Eliyahu. And now, they wait, this is them. They stood there and they waited until Hashem sent the fire down to make the Kiddush Hashem. So the Chilom Hashem they made in the Mishkan, what they did, they fixed by this huge Kiddush Hashem, that, and, what, and what, what did they have to do? He had to wait, Eliyahu Anavi. He had to wait until that happened. And after that, it says that the two neshamas went out of Eliyahu Anavi. These two neshamas of, of, of Nadav Avi, it's a whole chidah. And, and it says, at that point, there's a posseh which says, 
they, it left that place. And, 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 and we see Taka, that's what happened. So here you have this terrible, this terrible disaster on the opening day. His two kids die. Those two kids come out and they're Eliyahu Navi. And those two are, uh, uh, Eliyahu Navi. We know who Eliyahu Navi was, right? And Eliyahu Navi's a client. So, so if you get a chance to look at every single tragedy in the Torah, right? Every single tragedy in the Torah, you will see that from this tragedy, something good came out. So God brought that all into the world. God brought into the world the possibility that of a brother being sold, such a terrible, right, trauma, something good could come out. God brought into the world that if God forbid a Jewish girl, right, is attacked by a non-Jew, like what happened to Dina, right, that even though it's a terrible, terrible thing, something good could possibly come out. Now, if that wasn't in the Torah, it could not happen. So Hashem brought all these stories, all this tragedy into the world, so that if we go through it, it's an easy thing to go, it's easier, because somebody else went through it, and it ended up becoming good, so that brought that into the, that chiddush, that brought into the world, so that if a person now in our world goes through it, it's already not such a big deal that the tragedy should end up becoming a victory. And that's why the Torah carries every single tragedy that's humanly possible. Moshe Rabbeinu was adopted and abandoned and, and, and couldn't speak. What, learning disabilities. It's in the Torah. Learning disabilities. Learning disabilities, right? That kids have today is in the Torah. And, and the one person who had a learning disability who could not talk, and it continually says in the Torah, became the only mouth that God spoke to. So every kid now that stutters or lifts or is ADHD or whatever the learning disability is, has the ability to become a Moshe Rabbeinu. What do you mean? How can he become a Moshe Rabbeinu, right? What does he deserve? It, it happened already. So a kid with disability became a leader of Klai Yisrael. It's here. It happened already. He was successful. So it's in the world. So it's not such a hard thing to happen. Because it already happened. That's why the Torah has all these different things and challenges and kids that went off the derech and Esau and Yishmael and all these different stories so that if we have a kid off the derech, oh my gosh, he's never going to come back. What are you talking about? Yishmael did tshuva. In the end, in the end before they, when they buried Yishmael, the Torah says, Yishmael did tshuva. Yishmael did tshuva. So, and there were, there were some great people that came out of Esau. So, we have to understand that What's going on in Eretz Yisrael, right? It looks very, very bad, but we have to understand that somewhere hidden in this, right? This is not the first war. There were many wars in Tanakh. There were many wars in Klai Yisrael with Amalek and other. Somewhere hidden in this, which we don't understand. I mean, you, don't, you have to be very silly not to understand it because you, all of us in this room, cannot imagine. It's amazing what Hashem did. You know, I, um, I have a friend that that um, was in an accident and he broke his leg in, in a few different places. And they took him to the hospital. This was about five years ago. And they took him to the hospital to x-ray how they're going to put his leg back, you know, to, to, how they're going to set his leg. And when they x-rayed, they saw there was something in the bone that shouldn't have been there. So they started to do a little research. And he had cancer. He had cancer in his bone. But it was caught so early because you could only see the cancer was so small that you could only see it in an x-ray. So because it was caught so early, today he is perfect. And they told him that we caught it like in stage one, the beginning of stage one, 90%, 98% of people caught in that and so early, it's, it's curable. And he was talking cured. So when he broke his leg, and he happens to be a ball player, when he broke his leg and it was in the summer, he was so beyond himself. 
laying on the floor. All he told all he told Hatzola is, I cannot believe I'm not going to be on the baseball team this year. That's all he could tell them because he broke his leg. Imagine, how can you do this to me, God? I'm a good guy. He happens to be a Hatzola man, right? He's a good guy, and I just want to play a little baseball. And now, the beginning of June, you broke my leg. Until he found out that because he broke his leg and they took an x-ray, saved his life. So now we have a war and we're finding tunnels that we didn't know about. And we found out that Hamas was going to send 200 terrorists on Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah, into Israel to massive slaughter Jews. So, and kidnap and slaughter and don't ask. So it's sort of the same story here. So we lost three, we lost three boys, and we had to lose three boys because the only reason, you just look at the Yad Hashem. If you don't want to see Hashem's hand, you'll never see Hashem's hand. If you want to see Hashem's hand, so, so it's not the first time three Israeli boys got killed by, by Arabs. They went into that yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. Remember in the base medrash there, and, and, and they killed what, 11? Right, how many did they kill? 11? And we didn't go to war. And here three boys get killed and you're going to war. So what happened? What what caused this manifestation that we should go to war? 18 days we couldn't find them. 18 days we were talking and davening and where are they? And, and they're alive and they're not alive. All over the press, all over the place. And the 18 days of publicity caused such a movement and such an anger, right? That we have to react. Because we don't react. But if if these three guys would have been shot by these Arabs and then thrown out of the car on the floor, we would have had a Leviah and everything, nothing would have happened. So Kosh Baruch Hu hid their bodies for 18 days. They were killed immediately. They have the tape of the phone call. The three boys were killed. They were kidnapped. They were killed immediately. And for 18 days, we could not find them. We thought they were alive and they're not alive. On top of all the three lost those 18 days crazy amount of tilos and learning and tehillim. So Hashem waited 18 days because three boys being killed, it happens in Eretz Yisrael, you know? And it would have been, oh, and that, and that, and a deal, and a terrorist, and that. But what happened was, so, so the 18 days is a terrible thing that we couldn't find them for 18 days. It's a tragedy! But in the tragedy is the medicine. Because they couldn't be found for 18 days, and because of all those tilos, we now found all these tunnels and all these missiles that on Rosh Hashanah, it's just two months, three months from when they were killed. On Rosh Hashanah, they were coming into Eretz Yisrael, nobody, no army, we wouldn't have been ready for it, we wouldn't have been armed, and they were going into Kibbutzim and places that had plans, we, had, we have the plans. Massacre Jews. So Kodesh Baruch yes, we had three Karbanos, and they're in the highest place in Ghana, and there's nothing to talk about. And now we have 55 more Karbanos, right? But, but this is the x-ray, and, and we're finding these guys, these guys had a big plan. There's a big plan here. It's a huge plan here. 10,000 missiles. 10,000 missiles. So we have to, and, and I said this in Boston, it was a very bad day Monday. I spoke Monday night. It was Rish Chodesh Av, the beginning of the nine days. And it was a very bad day, and many missiles got through, specifically on that Monday. And when I got up to speak, I said, you know, it's very nice that we're all davening we always bought, we always ask Hashem for things. So we're all davening, Shiramalos, please save Israel, please save our soldiers, and please save all the people. But we're not thanking Him for anything. We're asking again, like we always do. Please, 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 please do this, do this, do this. But nobody's thanking for Him that 2,000 missiles, 2,000 missiles, landed at Yisrael and did nothing. And the guy, the head of Hamas, they asked him, 
a CNN reporter asked him, I don't understand. Don't you guys know how to aim? I mean, you're 20 miles away. You're not shooting to America. 20 miles away, you can't hit, you can't hit anything? And his answer, this Hamas, the head of Hamas, right? Not a Jew, said, we aim our missiles. We have guidance. We aim our missiles. But the Jewish God is playing with it. This is a guy. That's what he said. And then he said something interesting. And he said, but don't worry. They will sin. The Jews will sin. And then God will not protect them. This is the head of Hamas. This is not a rabbi coming up and giving you musr. The head of Hamas, right? The head of Hamas is stating, Jews, your God is playing with our missiles. We, today alone, I, I, I just on my way here, I was listening that they shot, I don't know how many, they all landed in, 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 in empty fields. You think they're shooting at empty fields? All, all the missiles landed in empty fields. We hear about it. Yes, Yishkoyach. Who's making it land in empty fields? So I want, I, want to, I want to tell you a couple of stories that I heard. One of them is so out of hand, but the rabbi who called me, some of you might know, he's, he's like a really serious guy, and he called me to tell me. The first I have to tell you that um, that there's, there's uh, the Patriot missiles, so it... Whistling? That's interesting. Oh, that's a phone. Okay. That's a phone. I'm like, all right. Someone's really enjoying my share. But okay. Anyway, so, um, so, the, you know, when they stand, when they stand at this Patriot, where they shoot the Patriot, the, the Iron Dome, their Patriot missiles that did not work at all in the Gulf War, all of a sudden they're working. Hello? But okay, we're, we're not going to try to figure that out. But anyway, so there's radar. They have radar. The missiles coming up, they have radar. They work with radar. So, so, there's a, a, and they were all talking about this in Eretz Yisrael. So there's a, a Patriot a missile battery near Tel Aviv that sort of protects, you know, one of the Iron Dome that, that protects Tel Aviv. And there was a missile, an incoming huge missile, into Mamish, like, right off where all the hotels and all the people live, right off the beach, right off the, right? And it was, and the, so they shot an intercepting missile, missed. They shot a second Patriot missile, missed. They shot a third Patriot missile, missed. And missed, missed the missile that was coming in from Gaza. And this thing's going to land where there are hotels and people and things can go off and I forget about it. It's going to be like a lot of people are going to get killed. And these guys, these Israeli soldiers, they're watching this and they see it on the radar and they're like, oye vey. You know, we, 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 that's it. There's no fourth missile. It's already too low. It was four, this is what they said, it was four seconds from landing. Now, a missile's moving pretty fast. So it was four seconds from landing and they're watching the radar and this missile's coming down and all of a sudden it's wee just into the ocean. And they're like, they're like, what? Nothing hit it? Just way into the ocean. So they're like, I don't understand what happened. So somebody, so, so somebody, I don't know who, how they got to them, whatever. They, they, they said, by the way, you know, you people, eh, whatever. They, they were talking to their friends. But, you know, you're, 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 you know where you are. You, you, Hashem just did a miracle. Like, like we're, we're the radar guys. We, we just saw this missile was supposed to hit you four seconds from hitting ground. And, you know, we're the radar guys. We're watching this. Like, what's going on over there? And the, and the guy's like, you know, it's very weird. This is what he said. This is what he said. He says, very weird. There was like this gust of wind. That's what he said. All of a sudden, we're sitting in, there's this huge gust of wind, and we're wondering, like, hurricane, tornado, what's going on? He says, we didn't realize it was really a missile coming down. Because took care of it. And this is happening all the time. We don't always get to see it. We don't always get to see it. So there's a Haidul Hashem Kitov. There's not just asking Hashem to protect us. It has to be an appreciation. We have to appreciate that if you took two and a half thousand missiles and just dropped them and they didn't explode, just the metal alone will kill 500 people. It's a big piece of metal, right? Baruch Hashem, three people? 
three people. I mean, I, it's not Bakashah. I wish it was no people. But three people, two thousand missiles killed two, three people. That's one story. I have to tell you another story. So I get this call yesterday um, from a rabbi in Eretz Yisrael, and Rabbi Auerbach. Some of you might know him. He has a he has a seminary in Eretz Yisrael um, called Bear Miriam. I don't know if anyone ever here went to Bear Miriam, but Rabbi Auerbach's a pretty serious cookie. So he, you know he doesn't call me very often. And yesterday I see my phone, Israel, Israel, Israel. I was busy, but I didn't pick it up. Finally, I picked it up. I'm like, hello. He says, oh, Rabbi Zechariah. It's Rabbi Auerbach. So usually I speak to him, getting this girl in, getting that girl out. What did she do? Why aren't you taking her? You know? He says, no, 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 no. It's not about girls. I have to tell you what just happened. I'm like, okay. He says, my daughter. He said, I could say B'Shem Amro. He says, my daughter works in an office. B'Shem Amro, in the name of the person who said it to him. He says, my daughter works in an office. And her co-worker has a brother in Gaza and he's in the Golani Brigade and these guys Nebuch, have to go into the tunnels these are the guys who are getting killed they have to go into the tunnels with these guys booby trapped they're waiting for him whatever it is he says my brother just called me listen to this he says my brother just called me and she had to tell me what in the office she was shaking and he said that they went on a mission there's 25 guys in this brigade and they go out, they come to this house and they know that there's a tunnel in this house so the, it's interesting, in, in, in the Jewish army, it's very different than the rest of the world. If you learn Navi, right, David Amalek went in front. The generals go in front of the army. They don't, they don't sit in the back and send their men in. They go in front. They lead. Shaul went in front. They always went in front. So in Israel, the, 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 the captains and the general, they're in front, right? They go in first. So this group is like 25 guys. So the, the, whatever he is, the colonel, the, the, the lieutenant says, okay, I'm going to take six guys. We're going to go into this building. We're going to go into the tunnel. You guys stay outside, surround the building, make sure nobody, we don't get attacked from the outside. Okay? We'll, we'll let you know what happens. It's very, very dangerous. These six guys go in. Okay? They go in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The radio guy from the outside is like, Captain, where are you? And there's no answer. And he's like, Captain, where are you? Answer me. And there's no answer. So he says to the guys, uh-oh. Now the worst thing right now, and so we know, is to get captured. That's what they want. They want to capture an Israeli, right? And he's thinking, why aren't they answering? So he gathers the men, and he says, okay, we'll leave four guys out here. The rest of us, we got to go in. It's, it looks like they got captured. Something's going on in the tunnel. I'm repeating what the rabbi told me, okay? So they, it seems to be buzzing around there. It's just all also. So they, they come into this house. And there's a tunnel. They see the tunnel. Standing in front of the tunnel is a rabbi. A rabbi. Long beard, black hat. They even described the hat that he was wearing. A long frock, like a Rosh Hashiva. Standing in front of the, tu- front of the tunnel. Now you can imagine these guys come in, they got their night vision things on, you know, with their guns. And, and there's a rabbi in the middle of Gaza, standing in a house by a tunnel. So they're speaking of it. They speak of it, speak of it to the rabbi. They say, what are you doing here? This is Gaza. Wait, get away from the tunnel. What are you doing here? And he looks at them. And this, you can call him up if you don't believe me. This rabbi looks at them and says, get out of here now. Because if you don't, there are going to be many widows and orphans. Get out now. Now they're looking at him. What are you talking like, like, you know, we hear stories about Leo Novi and this stuff. But come on, it doesn't really happen, right? And they're like, we're missing our men. We have six men down there. We need to go down there. We need to find our men. And he's like, and if writ, get out of the house now. So the head guy, 
that's below the guy that went the captain, he's like, I don't know who you are, Rabbi, but you need to move because if you don't move, we're going to make you move because I got to go down in that tunnel and get my get my captain back. And he says, listen to me. It's not about me. It's about you. Get out of the house now. And this soldier says, okay, this guy's not listening to me. I'm going to move him out of the way. And he puts his hands on him and his hands go right through him. I promise you. this is I didn't make up this story. And his hands go right through him and these guys are, are fainting. They're like, they're like, they're like what? And this person's talking to him and he has his hands through him. And he says, You must leave right now. And just at that moment, these six guys come out of the tunnel. They were so deep that the radio did not work. And these six guys come out of the tunnel and they see this rabbi. And he's he's sort of blocking them from coming out, whatever it is. And they also try to push him out of the way. So now everyone's putting their hands through this guy, right? And he's not there. And he turns to all of them and he says, This is the last time I'm telling you, you have five seconds. Get out of this house or there'll be Yusayimim and Almanas. He's talking to Brit the whole time and they run out of the house because at this point they're like, they're going crazy. It's, it's a malach. When you put your hands through someone, it's a little scary. And they all ran out of the house. He says they were, mamish 20 steps from the house and this house goes up. It was booby trap. It was full of TNT. This house goes up. There wouldn't have been a piece left of any of them. And there, a lot of these guys were not religious and they're like, there's a God and there are malachim. And I'm going to tell you something, which I don't, I don't want to even say, because this rabbi said it to me, and I'm like, if I say that, they're all going to just like, okay, rabbi, you're out of your mind. That when he spoke, which was really made them crazy, when he spoke from his mouth, the words came out, but also fire came out. And now you're laughing. I'm not, I'm not laughing. I'll tell you why I'm not laughing. Avivita's here. And, and I think she was here anyway. Um, and her cousin, was her cousin was in our office for a while. He came to America for a year. And he was in a brigade in the war with Lebanon. And he was there. He was a commando. And he told me that in, in Lebanon, and there were many soldiers that came back from Lebanon, that he they were in a, a firefight, shooting you know with the Arabs, and they were running into a building. And they were trying to escape. They were running into a building. And there was a woman. Just He told me, he said, Rabbi Wallerstein, and he's not Dati, Right? Yet. Not that yet. Right? And, and he said, we come to this building, and this woman's here, right? And she turns to us, and we don't know Jew, Arab, she's all dressed in black, and she speaks in writ. And she says, it's a booby trap. Don't go into this house. Whatever you do, don't go into this house. Run down the street. Do not go into this house. It's totally, it's totally booby trap, whatever it is. And they're looking at this woman, they think she's an Arab, she's a Jew, maybe don't, maybe she wants to go to the booby trapped house, whatever it is. And then she says something in Hebrew like, there's Rat Hashem, you'll be okay. And they're like, that ain't no Arab. And they ran to another house, and that house that they were supposed to go into, kabunga, it just totally blew up. When they, th- This guy told me, not a rabbi, this soldier told me. He says, I want you to know something. He says, we came at the end of the war, so all the guys, you know, at the end of the Lebanon war, we're all standing out there, and we're talking about this, and, and we're telling these guys, did you see that woman in Lebanon? Did you see that? Did you see, we saw a woman, and she told us, which ha-? And all of a sudden, this guy, the guy, what are you talking about? The one in the black? She told us not to go here. She told us not to go there. And all of a sudden, all these units are talking about this lady who was telling them, go here, don't go here, go here, don't go there. Mama Rachel, Amalach, the Shechina. I have no idea. But these are soldiers. This is not a story. These are soldiers that, that there was such a person, in, a woman in black, that was in this war, that was telling the soldiers, and, and it became a thing. They were all talking about her. So, so we don't hear these stories. We just hear about missiles and bombs. God is working really hard and he's doing many, 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 many miracles. And 
and we have to thank him for that. Because we don't thank him for the miracles, and we don't thank him for, the, you know, don't believe in the Iron Dome. I don't believe in the Iron Dome. Because a little bit I know how Hashem works. Not a lot, but a little bit. And God doesn't like to take credit for anything. And he hides himself. So what did he do? He knew the war was coming. He knew the missiles were coming. So he created the Iron Dome, that the Iron Dome should be here before the missiles come. So the last Iron Dome, the same Patriot missiles, in the Gulf, Gulf War hit nothing. Didn't work at all. Now all of a sudden there's an Iron Dome, and you hear about the Iron Dome, and the Americans are like, we're partners in the Iron Dome. He's just hiding. I don't even believe these missiles could do anything. He's just hiding. He doesn't want anyone to say, right? He wants you to find him. And I explained this to a girl in my office the other day. I said, when you look for somebody that creates a relationship and an excitement. You know, you play hide-and-go-seek. Why is hide-and-go-seek a great game? You hide. Why do I have to look for you? Enjoy yourself. You're hiding under a bed? Stay there. I'm going to eat lunch. Right? I have to find you because you decided to hide, play a game? Stay under the bed. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to go play with my friends. Why is it a game? Why do kids play it? Because it's very exciting to look for somebody. And it's very rewarding to find its psychological thing. It's very rewarding to find the thing that you're looking for. So when you find that kid, you're like, I got him, he's under the bed. You're the king. Wow, you found the kid hiding under a bed, right? The answer is, I looked for something and I found it. That's success. So hiding go seek's a big game. What's the worst part of hiding go seek? It's like you have six kids playing in and the first five hide everywhere, right? And then they get tired. So now it's the you know, if you look for someone, you have a right, then you, you get a turn to hide. So the sixth kid, now, he goes to hide, and they're all tired, and they're like, eh, let's go home. And the poor kid's under the bed thinking that he is the best hider of them all because nobody can find them. But then when he comes out, he realizes, it's not because he's a good hider, because nobody was looking for him. This, the Dugma Magid says, is the Nister of Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hide himself so that when you find him you feel successful the whole thing of afikoman it's very kabbalistic that we teach kids to look for the afikoman and if you find the afikoman you get rewarded if you find it, the psychology is if you look for something and you find it you get rewarded so when you're a kid you have to get rewarded you have to get rewarded with a toy but when you're an adult the reward is finding the thing that you're searching for so akadosh baruchu plays hide-and-go-seek with us. And he does iron domes. And he does all kinds of things, right? The whole, the miracles of our world today, girls, are way above the miracles that you find in the Torah. You know? Bilam, I remember when I was learning that Bilam was flying. Bilam had the power to fly. And he was able to take some of his soldiers with him. And then they brought him down, right? Today, if I told you Bilam had 20 soldiers flying, I would tell you, what are you crazy? We have planes that can carry tanks. C-112s, they carry tanks and 2,000 soldiers. Big deal, right? That he could fly. And anything that you look at in, 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 in Kriyas Yamsuf, they could see from one side of the Yamsuf, one shave it, could see the other shave it. <laughs> they were Skyping. Like, big deal, right? I can do much more than that. How wide was it? 10 miles, 20 miles? I can Skype from here to South Africa. I could see someone in South Africa and I could talk to them at the same time. So, so the miracles, we have bigger, much bigger miracles. Medicine, they didn't have all kinds of medicine. 200 years ago, they didn't have that kind. If you had pneumonia, you had pneumonia, you died. Right? Certain diseases, you died. Today, 
You have pneumonia, they give you penicillin. Shabbat Shalom, it's over, you feel better. Right? You have strep. In those days, you have strep. With, it goes to your heart, you get rheumatic fever, and you're gone. Today, right? At least when I was growing up, you had strep. You had to take 10 days, three pills a day. Today, you have the Z-Pack. Six pills, have a nice day, four days, and you're okay. It's much, much bigger miracles. What? You tell me, it's not a miracle, it's medicine. It's not a miracle, it's technology. It's not a miracle, it's an iPhone. None of this stuff is a miracle. But what it does is much bigger than anything you'll find in the Torah. Turning water into blood, we could turn, we could turn water into anything we want. I had in my, in my little chemistry set, I could turn water into blood. I had these little chemicals, you put it into water and it looks like blood. Right? Well, the miracles in the trial, I mean, don't get me wrong, darkness and all that, but the miracles that, that are in our Torah, you know, I'll confine the Sharon, why would I want to fly on an eagle? Right? American eagle, right? I'll fly on an airplane. What do I need an eagle for? So, so, we, we have, what we're going through, you come to Shemayim, Hashem will say, I did such big miracles for you, I did the most unbelievable miracles in the world. No water in the old days, no water. The crop dies. Today, no water. In Eretz Yisrael, they have a salt, um, like a place where they take all the ocean water, and they, I forgot the name, what they, and they turn it into, into drinking water, right? A saline, whatever it is, whatever it is, right? You, you need irrigation, right? You got stuff underneath, uh, underneath the ground, and, and, and your plants get watered. They didn't have that in those days. It didn't rain. The crop died. So technology and tractors and mass production, it's all a Kodesh Baruch but what he did, he's a, he's a nister. He's hidden. And our job is to play hide and go seek. Our job is to look for him. What's the reward? The reward is that when you find him, you develop a relationship. Also, someone you look for. There was a kid missing um, a few years ago in the mountains for a long time. And people couldn't find him, couldn't find him, couldn't find him until they found him. There were people that said after they found him, you know, I, I knew this kid even though I never met him. Because they had to get all the identities and all the different things. And where do you think he would go? And where do you think he would sleep? And, and he has asthma. And look for a, for, for an asthma, you know, pump. And, and so, so some of the guys who were searching were like, I never met the kid. I know him better than I know my own kids. I know what he looks like. I know how much he weighs. I know what he dresses. I know what he likes to eat. I know what he hides. They have to get all that information. So, 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 so the, at the end of the day, they, they found him. They looked for him. But by looking for him, they found out who he is. So when we search for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we look for him in, in all of his creation, besides that, we, we, if you look for him, you'll find him in everything that he does. In a flower, I don't need an airplane. I don't need to look at technology to know, you know, that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. There's nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing to talk about, right? We have to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this war. We have to have appreciation. Not only ask him to save us, it's appreciation for what, you know, for what he's doing. Not... The, the guy who spoke fire, that's a big miracle, don't get me wrong. But every day there's a miracle. Every time these missiles get shot out and nothing happens, is a very, very big nace. And it's time for Christ. So I told them on Monday, I felt that there wasn't enough thank you and maybe that's why more missiles landed. And Hashem's like, if you don't realize what I'm doing, then why am I doing it? It's to bring you closer to Him. The reason He's doing it is to bring us closer to Him. But if we, if we don't see it, right? Like I always say, the person who goes to the museum and doesn't understand art, they're not going to bring you back to the museum. Right? So, so you have to, person has to search for Hashem. This is the time to search for Kurdish Baruch Hu. It's also brought down, I know everyone's asking Mashiach, this and that. I just have to tell you, I believe it's the Gemara, right? It's definitely a Chazal, that Mashiach's gonna come at the end of Shemitah. At the end of a Shemitah year. That's brought down. I believe it's a Gemara. But it could be it's just a Chazal. That he will come at the end of a Shemitah year, and it's brought down that the war, the war will begin 
before Shemitah and will last the whole seventh year. And at the end of the seventh year, Mashiach will come. Well, guess what? This Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of Shemitah. Okay, we're going into a Shemitah year. And the war started before Shemitah. And it's getting a lot worse. So I thought to myself, why don't you bring it in the fifth year, the fourth year, the third year? Why would God bring Mashiach in Shemitah? And the answer is simple. What is Shemitah? In the seventh year, you're not allowed to plant, you're not allowed to harvest, you're not allowed to plow, right? You have to let everything grow wild, and you can only take the food that you can eat. Everyone else, the, 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 you know, the farm is open to everybody. So the year of Shemitah, and the reason, one of the misfortune bring down, that every seventh year, right, the land has to rest, so it brings down two reasons. One reason is that they used to, they used to work every year. They didn't learn. Two, two, two months a year, Tishrei, they planted, and Nisan, they harvested. Maybe the other way around. Nisan, they planted, and one or the other. But two months a year, they couldn't learn because they were working the farms. Ten months a year, they learned, but those two months, planting and harvesting, they didn't learn. So at the end of six years, there were 12 months that Kleistro did not learn. Two months a year, six years is 12 months. So the seventh year, Hashem said, is a year of learning. The whole year to make up for those six years. So the seventh year is 12 months of learning, no planting, no harvesting, nothing. That's one, that's, that's, that's one territory. Another territory is that a farmer very much believes a little bit, it says that, that if I have a pound of tomatoes that I grew and you steal it, you have to pay me back nine times that pound. Why? Because I worked and I planted and I watered. So it's, it's very, it's very close to me. It means a lot to me. But if I have a pound of tomatoes I bought in ShopRite and you steal that, you gotta pay me back a pound of tomatoes. I have nothing to do with those tomatoes. So there's a certain connection between a farmer and his field. He worked it, he plowed it, he protected it, he, he did all that work. So it becomes a little bit kaychem v'aitzim yadi. I'm a good farmer. Look, look at my produce. I know what I'm doing, right? So one year, out of those seven years, the farmer has to be reminded you're not doing anything. And that things are going to grow without you. Things are going to grow in your land without you. You need to understand that it's not you. It's not it's not your strength, but it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's strength. So what's the connection? It's simple. What's Mashiach? What's Mashiach? The whole Mashiach, I spoke in a camp this year, Mashiach is not to see your grandmother who died. Mashiach is not that you should find your Shidduch. Mashiach is not that all kids with cancer should be cured. Anyone who believes that's why you should have Mashiach, the Mepharshim say, you are an Apikairis. If you want Mashiach because you want to see the people who died, or you're going through a hard life, or any of that stuff, you're an Apikairis. The only reason a person, a Jew should want Mashiach is because the Shekhinah, God is in Golos, and when Mashiach comes, God will be revealed to the world. That is it. And if it's for any other reason, it is wrong. So now, what is Shemitah? Shemitah is a year of me showing that I believe, right? I'm not farming, I'm not doing anything, that I believe that God is running the world. So if we go through a whole year of Shemitah and Kleisro shows Hashem that we believe you run the world, then he doesn't have to be hidden anymore. Because we are showing that he, we're revealing that you are running the world. So what are you hiding from? You're hiding to, to, that you want us to find you. We're telling you that we know that you're here. We're not farming. We're not growing anything. We're not touching the field. So specifically, Matzei Shemitah, after a year of this emuna, says Mashiach is going to come. And here we are, going through this war, going through hard times, walking into this year. 
That's how important this year is, everybody. It's a very important year. And you also have to know that we have to daven more and learn more because right now it's Ben Azmanim. From Rosh Chodesh Av to Rosh Chodesh Elo, yeshivas are closed. So there's less learning in the world because yeshivas are closed for that month. And specifically, this war is happening Ben Hazmanim. So we have to pick up because all the yeshivas are closed. All the schools are closed. There's no kids learning in Mesoris and Beis Yaakov and, and yeshiva and Chaim Berlin or any of these yeshivas. They're all up, they're all up in the country in, in, in camp. Right? They're all in camp. So the, there's, no, there's no question that the level of learning in the world during these months is much less because schools are closed. And, and the Tinaki Shabbat Shabbat so, so it's a very special time now to, that we all have to take on more learning because yeshivas are not doing it right now because they're closed. It happens to be that this war is going on in the time of the summer when there's much less learning in the world. And when there's a, a sakana, there has to be more learning. So everyone who's watching this, take on another 15 minutes a night, learn Chafetz Chaim, learn whatever it is, but take on 15 minutes more to, to, to help fill that void of learning. All right, so I want to end, give you all a bracha, and tell you a story, talking about Israel and Nisim and the flies. I want to tell you a story because the Jewish nation, Mikam, Yisrael, there's no one like us. I want to tell you a story in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you don't have to go all the way there. This is an amazing, an amazing story. I, you'll understand it even though you don't dine with a minion, but I think you'll understand it anyway. So there's a shul called Shemir Shabbos in Borough Park on 53rd and 13th Avenue. It's what we call a minion factory. Every 50 million mincha. The last minion for Myriv. Last minion, official. Minion for Myriv in Shemir Shabbos on 13th Avenue, 53rd Street. What time do you girls think the last minion is? Two. Three. Three o'clock is the last minion for Myriv. Now, I have been at that minion. Okay, don't ask why. But I have been at that three o'clock minion. Sometimes getting off a plane from the West Coast, supposed to land at 12.30, ends up getting delayed till you get to shul, till you get your luggage. But I'm not at that minion very often. And I'm always wondering when I'm there. I know why I'm here, but what are the other 15, 20 guys? <laughs> at 3 o'clock at night. Now, it happens to be very interesting because if you go to the three, if you go from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, right, any young guy that walks in there, shaved and dressed as I, right, we know he's getting engaged soon. Because... Why is he Davi Meyer at two? Because he's dating till two o'clock at night. Now the guy who's dating till two o'clock at night is very serious. So I told a guy, I told a guy that's a friend of mine who's a photographer, I'm like, you gotta come to the two, three o'clock minion and give out your cards. Because when you see these guys, these guys are showing up for Meyer at three o'clock. I mean, this guy's close to get, he better be close to getting engaged, right? And then you have your stragglers that just, just, just hang out and show. Anyway. So there's a guy, there's someone there that he's, he's like the shamus till they close up. Now three o'clock's the last minion until three thirty, and the first minion is at four four twenty five for shachras. So the shul is never closed. Okay, it's an unbelievable. It's, a, it's the base hamigdash of of of, of Golis. But anyway, you have to hear the story. So this guy calls from the airport. He calls Shemir Shabbos, and the the guy by the the shamus picks up the phone, and he says, "What time's your last minion?" He says three o'clock. He says. Okay, it's, it's, it's 2.30, and I'm in Kennedy, and I want the Ahmed, I want to be, I want to be the one who dominates for the, the Chazen on the 3 o'clock minion, because today is the last day of my father's, of, of the 11th month, the last day of my father's year. I haven't missed a minion yet. I haven't missed dominating for the Ahmed being the Chazen for a minion, and this is my last Myriv. That's it. Right? This is my last Myriv. I need, I need this minion. 
Okay. So it was his last day. He had to do Meir Shachas and Mincha, but this Meir, our night, our day starts at night. So this is it, the last day. And he, he got off this plane that was delayed coming out. Two, three, he says, please, please, I want to be the Chazin. So he tells him, don't worry. At three o'clock, we don't have like a specific, you know, guy who comes to the Ahmed. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it for you. Fine. Quarter to three, guy calls him up and says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the airport. My stuff didn't, my stuff didn't, my, my luggage is, it didn't come out. Nothing came out. The whole thing is, uh, but, but you gotta, I, you know, I don't know, what can I, do you ever have a 315 minion? You ever have a 330 minion? Does it ever happen? He says, well, once in a while, a 315, there's still some stragglers. We put together a minion, but he goes, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it at, 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 at 315. He says, can you hold them? Till I get there? And he's like, um, I don't really think I can hold people. It's at 315 in the morning. They want to go to sleep. He says, uh, I'll ask, but I don't, I, anyway, to make a long story short, he goes to the minion, right? It's a three o'clock minion. They're ready to daven. He says, guys, we have a chiyuv that wants to, when he's late, he'll be here at 330. Could you guys like wait a half an hour, whatever it is? Chiyuv, last day, half an hour of a person's time at three o'clock at night is, but you know, okay. The guy calls up at 3.30. He goes, I'm still in the airport. I didn't get my stuff. Are you holding them? And he says, uh, I'm finished. I'm finished. Nancy, you wait two seconds. I'm finished. You don't have to. I'm, I'm finished. He says, can you hold them? Can you still hold them? He says, uh, I have to ask them. I don't know. Anyway, to make a long story short, everybody, he walks into Shemr Shabbos at 4.15. And these 10 guys sat from 3 o'clock in the morning till 4.15 in the morning to make this guy a minion. And he had a minion and they davened 4.15 in the morning. An hour and 15 minutes, I'm sure, I don't know how happy their wives were, right? Most of these guys are not married, but anyway, right? But they waited an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. Mika Am Mika we're an amazing nation and in the schus of us waiting for each other because Baruch Hu should do what he has to do. I think we all need to go home and tell Hashem no more hide and go seek. We know where you are. We recognize where you are. And you don't need to hide anymore. It's time to be to be nigla and Mirza Hashem. We should be nigal before Shemitah. We shouldn't have to wait till after Shemitah. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com